Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast. In association with Line Trust. Specialist Fund Managers. Hi there, podcast fans. Welcome to Total Football. We've got a different flavour of treat for you on today's show. With 11 matches played and a palate-cleansing international break to mull things over, it feels like a good time to assess the Premier League season so far. Which teams do we believe in? Who's better than they have played so far? And can anyone challenge Manchester City for the title of Premier League's sexiest team? The Telegraph's chief football writer, Sam Wallace, will be our guide and give us his power rankings from 20 to 1. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm joined by your friend and mine, Alan Tyers. Alan, how are you? Hi, Tom Gibbs. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm very excited. Uh, International breaks tend to do that to me. Um, We should talk about these power rankings, which are a useful tool in American sports where you don't have a league table. And some people would argue that the Premier League table is the only list of rankings you need. But... The table at this stage clearly isn't what we're going to end up with at the end of the season. So what we've tried to do is assess the performances we've seen so far, but also factor in how we think the season is going to shape out from here. Alan, you and I have also put together our rankings for the 20 Premier League teams. I've spent some time with my old friend, the internet, and I've tried to come up with a kind of statty approach. You're looking more at the men in charge of these teams. Do you think the club with the best manager tends to win the Premier League? I do not think that that's the case, no. I think there's managers who are doing much better than they should be, managers who are doing a lot worse than they should be. So while the league table does not lie, as football people are very fond of telling us, I think it does. Lying league table. (laughs) Let's bring in Sam Wallace now. Sam, who's at the bottom of your power list? Hi, Tom. Hi, Hi, Alan. It won't surprise you to hear that it's it's Crystal Palace, um, which is not to say that I don't think they will rally at some point this season. I just think that it, it won't be enough that um, that points have been lost along the way. And I know they're not that far adrift. I think I'm right to think it's only four points um, from uh, from 19th place. But I just feel like they've chucked away such a big part of the season that um, it's going to be difficult for them to come back. Mm. They've missed 18 big chances so far this season. Only City and Arsenal have missed more. That, to me, suggests there are problems up front. Uh, do you, are they a team that needs a lot of help in January, do you think, Sam? Well, they do have the greatest player in the Premier League as of the last two editions of the newspapers, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, in their side. So um, I think he's been—he's certainly been praised so high over the last 24 hours that um, they may feel that they've uh, that they've not got the best out of him so far. I mean, they—they've they, left themselves very, very short with strikers. I mean, that was one of the criticisms, one of the many criticisms of Frank de Boer was that he didn't. The suggest, you know, the the players that he proposed to play in that position that he. Very happily got rid of Fraser Campbell. I'm not saying he would have made a difference, but he might 
have chipped in with a few goals this season and basically they're, they're very, very short in that position. Right man in the dugout, do you think, Alan? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I've, the sight of poor Mr. Roy on that touchline is making me sadder and sadder as the weeks go by. He just he just looks like a man out of time. I'm, I, I think he may still be a good manager, but I fear that he's been fundamentally and uh, fatally holed below the plimsoll line after the England experience, and I, I just can't see him turning that around That's a at sad, all. a sad story in South London. What about the other two teams uh, in the bottom three, do you think, Sam? Well, I was just looking at my. I actually did. I I did, I did my uh, one twenty at the start of the season. Palace um, weren't weren't number twenty at the start of the season. They I weren't. Assume. They weren't. I have to admit. I'm going to stick with my 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 call for for nineteenth, which is Swansea. I just feel that they are. I mean, they occupy that position anyway at the moment. I just don't see that they've done enough to kind of make sure that they're they're not in the bottom three. I I, I feel that they've been going that way for a while. Again, I'm not sure where the goals are going to come from. They lose games that, you know, they might honestly be expected to pick points up in so far. Um, and I suppose, you know, by extension, I'm I'm not convinced that Clement will be able to keep them out of, out of trouble. Yeah, of course, he was a big reason why they got out of it last year. Um, do you think he's got it in him to, to, to come again? I mean, I'm, you know, he's one of only two English managers in the division, English managers under the age of 50. So I would like to see him succeed. I just, I just feel like they're, you know, their the, their summer was was poor really in terms of transfers. They they sold Sigurdsson and they haven't certainly he was their best player and they they've not got close to replacing him. Not that I would ever assume that it's easy to replace a, a player, you know, has that kind of importance to a team. But I, I just feel like they they've been heading in one direction really for the last season last couple of seasons and and you know, if you look at their, their recent record, I mean that home defeat to Brighton Really suggested that there are, you know, they've got problems. What about number eighteen for you, Sam? So I've I've gone for uh, Huddersfield Town. Uh, I know obviously that they've had a couple of good results recently. They've beaten West Brom. They've beaten Manchester United. I just feel like over the course of thirty-eight games, it's it's a big ask. They they did kind of rebuild the team quite significantly over the summer. Um, again, got a good manager. But I just feel like a club with their resources, it catches up with them over the course of the season. Three of the four wins as well, only by one goal for them. They don't look a team that's going to frighten mm. other opponents. Yeah, I agree with you. They have managed to find goals. They've got this uh, striker, De Poitra, who's who's come up trumps a couple of times. But I, I just feel that, again, you know that, that will be the problem. It's really, really hard to consistently score goals, especially away from home in the Premier League. It is a, kind, it is a bit of a sort of, Hunch that I just feel that not all three promoted teams can survive. So which one do you identify as the weakest? And, and I put Huddersfield in that category. Yeah, they're in my bottom three as well. But Wagner, a lovely addition yeah, to the league. Alan. I'm, I'm, Sam makes a good case, obviously. But uh, I'm putting my faith in lovely German-American hybrid person, uh, Mr. Wagner. And yeah, I've, I've, I've got a little bit of faith in them. Yeah, yeah, he seems he seems like a top fella. Uh, so who's just escaping the drop, Sam? Who's who's in seventeenth? I'm going to go for West Ham here. Mm. I, I just see. I just see problems ahead. I, I, I again, you know, they're they're already playing catch up. So let's have a look. They're they're all, they're, they're in eighteenth at the moment. I know they're only they're only one point from from Bournemouth ahead of them, and that is kind of. I know we're early days in the season, but there is a real compression, isn't there, from sort of eighth downwards um, of points. There's only there's only five points between eighth and seventeenth. Again, I think with West Ham, the the sort of the the curse of the Olympic Stadium. Where home doesn't feel like home is always a is, is a massive disadvantage. It goes without saying, um, and 
I think, uh, although, look, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on David Moyes. I just feel that... Let's, let's hope it doesn't come to that. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe the next international break. <laughs> he's another manager who's also looking like he's been really scarred by a big job, Alan. Oh, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I would confidently predict a complete fiasco with, with David at West Ham. I would, if he could get them relegated to Division 2 in this in one season, I would say he could pull it off. I cannot see how that combination of manager-club and, like you say, stadium is going to produce anything other than heartache for the Hammers. Where have you got them on your list, Alan? Uh, 28th. <laughs> Grim, grim prognosis. Right, let's whiz through some, Sam. Uh, 16, 15 and 14, please. 16th, I've gone for Bournemouth. Agreed. Looking like a tough third season for Eddie mm-hmm. Howe. 15th, the club from Brighton and Hove. Uh, I think they are... Uh, <laughs> Hove never gets a mention, does it? It really gets <laughs> for forgotten all of it. <laughs> um, reading J- Jeremy Wilson's comprehensive features about Brighton as as I do on a, on a regular basis he does seem that there does seem to be like a bit of a plan there uh, you know which is obviously not the case at Newcastle the, one of the other two promoted clubs and at Huddersfield I think they probably have got a plan but with not quite the resources I, I just feel that that Brighton have, have been building towards this and if you know they finish 17th by the skin of their team and so be it but I think they might just do one better what about 14th I'm going to for Everton yes because again I, I, they are the, they are sort of a, a traditional English powerhouse who you would expect to um, to cruise out of trouble, but they, they, they obviously don't know who their next manager is. They clearly haven't thought this one through. I mean, Cumin for all his faults, I thought that was very premature. I really did, and um, and and normally you 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 get a manager out, I presume, because they were absolutely at crisis point. But from what I was told from Everton, it wasn't like the players despised him. It really wasn't at that stage. And so the other fact, you think, well, they must have someone in mind. They clearly haven't. And um, I think if it gets any worse, and the, the, the sort of the bat signal could go up for Sam Allardyce, um, but, uh, which would be extraordinary, really. But Is there not a Brian Giggs campaign yet among his pals? I, I, of course, he would like that job. I think there's a bit of a misconception about Giggs that he simply assumes that he should be given these jobs. I mean, that's <laughs> that's not the case. He, Fair enough. He, he, uh, he would take a job in the Championship or League One. He's really, although he's never played at those levels, obviously, he is very, very eager to be a manager. It, there does seem to be this regular churn of... Um, of old British coaches who tend to get these jobs. Mm. And I, I, there was a really good piece by Rory Smith in the New York Times, you know, Rory, formerly of the Telegraph, who who um, who said, I, I, I'm going to have to call this stat in off the top of my head. But I think it was something like a collection of Moyes, Hughes, Allardyce and Hodgson have, have had well over 25 jobs between them. It is the same old faces at these. Yeah, and I think Brian Giggs is, is part of that, that queue of coaches who's who's waiting for the right first opportunity and very aware that you know that they probably only get one opportunity as well so look I, I don't I don't anticipate that he will get that job but I, I honestly couldn't say couldn't say who it was going to be you know there just yeah. doesn't seem to be anyone in mind which is a which is you know crackers really when you think this is we are in the we're in the white heat of the Premier League season with the December January um, glut of games coming up this is less of a stat and more of an omen, but the team in 15th, which is where Everton are at the moment, at this point in the season, has gone on to be relegated in all of the last four years. What does it mean? Ooh. Possibly <laughs> nothing. Uh, on to number 13, please, Sam. 
Right, I really feel now like I'm into this sort of Bermuda Triangle of it. It, it pretty much could be anyone. It's a mess, so, isn't um, it? They're, they're all. They're, yeah. It's so hard to distinguish some of these sides. So I'm going for the for the first as the two clubs where the fans seem to want the manager to be sacked, despite the fact that yeah, that we're not, yeah, well, they just want him to be sacked. So uh, West Brom. So I've gone for West Brom in thirteenth, um, with a kind of embittered Tony Pulis getting them to safety. Do you think you'd be Pulis out if you're a West Brom fan, Alan? I, I think if I were a West Brom fan, I probably would be. But looking at it as an outsider, I I can't help but continue to admire him, really. He's definitely the Premier League manager I would call if I needed like a tyre changed or some sort of help around the house or just some practical uh, things need doing, send for Tony kind of situation, up to and including keeping up a team in the Premier League. Where have you got him on your list? He is in eighth on my list. Eighth? Yes. Wow, a huge turnaround. Wow. The slightly worrying thing for them looking at the stats is they've only had one goal from dead ball situations this year. And you you would imagine that's a, the hallmark of a Tony Pulis team. Do you, do you think there's a sign that his style is now um, from the before times, Sam? Oh, it's definitely, it's been from the before times for a long time. But, um, I mean, of course, I barely need to say the fact that he's never been relegated. Everyone knows that. He doesn't like to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would put him in the same category as Marino in, in, in his sort of, in the way that he, his sort of belligerence about it. You know, he, he, he's totally puzzled by people saying, "Well, why don't you play differently?" It, it's almost like them saying to, to him, "You know, why don't you turn up with, I don't know, a harp and play it at training?" Every, I mean, that's not what you bought me for. You know, I don't do that. I, I have one way of managing, and you knew that when you employed me. So why are you asking me? You know, why are you trying to get a different cue now of me? That's just not what I do. I think Pudis went through this at Stoke as well, and where he, there was a kind of a really interesting debate about whether they should feel grateful for the fact that he got them promoted and kept them there and built helped them sort of build themselves as a stable Premier League club, or whether they were allowed to aspire to more. And the overwhelming consensus was. They, they should be allowed to aspire to more. Why not, eh? I believe we're on number 12, Sam. Yeah, which is Stoke. That's that's what West Brom could aspire to, 12th. <laughs> <sighs> well, I mean, Alan's got West Brom 8th, which is like one place out of Europa League qualifying, which would be incredible. Do you remember when Pulis last got into Europe and he, and he basically, I think, was it, did they go to Valencia and sort of took the B team with Stoke? Anyway, um, <laughs> I, great memories. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Stoke, yeah. I, I mean, he really did change things in the summer when he, he basically sold the old gang, didn't he? So Whelan left, and Barsley left, and John Walters left, and uh, and he brought in the likes of Hesse and and Arne- oh, well, Arnautovic left as well. Sorry, but it, again, I think it. I think often Hughes does sort of that try and kind of fiddle around the edges. Uh, Berahino was another one of his projects that's really not worked out. But in the end, you watch that Peter Crouch header. Last Saturday, we absolutely thumps it in at the near post, and you think that that's really what works. And and Coates is actually talking to Crouchy. I mean, Coates is talking about a new contract for him. So I think twelve would be a pretty good return for them. Yeah, four assists from dead balls this year for Stoke, which leads the league. It's almost like it's in their DNA. But I've still really got no idea if Mark Hughes is a good manager. What do you think, Alan? He's had plenty of goes, hasn't he? That is a. I think I'm just burned by being a QPR fan and seeing how badly it went from there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's he's it's. I don't know. It's hard to separate him from his playing days for me for some reason. I just always imagine him just sticking his large bottom into people and thundering the ball into the net and that goal against Oldham and all the rest of it. I don't know. He's he's one of those ones that still exists in the, in playing mode for me. I can't really put my finger on I why. feel like exactly the same about him. I, he was one of my favourite all-time mm. players. And 
No, I bet in training every now and again he absolutely laces one, and uh, and they all go. Yeah. I would definitely pay to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Number eleven, please, Sam. Uh, Newcastle. I, I mean, who knows, really? Um, I, I just think Rafa's cunning will get them through, and uh, and I and, and I, you know, you could put you could quite happily put Newcastle fifteenth as well. I mean, I, I I don't think they'll go down, but I just think that there'll be there'll be so little in those places between sort of eleventh and fifteenth. There'll be there'll be points in it, as it, so um, I just think that they could maybe just nick it on the sort of crest of sort of Geordie enthusiasm towards the end of the season. Possibly the team where the manager is the biggest factor, Alan. Yeah, I think so. Um, and slightly away from the glare as he is uh, uh, compared to his Liverpool days, it's, he, he seems in a, in a happier moment. There's less kind of, we haven't had any kind of crazy outbursts to my knowledge and it all seems to be going reasonably well. Yeah. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. Into the top 10 then, Sam. Who have you got in the glamorous position of 10th? I have got Sean Mark Dyche yes. and his Burnley boys. I, I, I feel like he's on a bit of a roll. I wonder if there's part of him that actually doesn't want to be offered the Everton job, rather like Eddie Howe in England uh, in, in 2016. It's part of him that just really just fancies another season at this. Um, and that, that there there are, again, I think the manager, the star, as you mentioned with Rafa, in, in what has been, relatively speaking, a great era for Burnley. You know, they've had um, three promotions to the Premier League, one of those under uh, Owen Coyle. But uh, he... You know he stands out as the main man, and um, that that group of players that he's got really works for him. And yeah, I, I, I just think they're effective in in what is, let's be honest, not a very high standard mid table at the moment. That is a really good point, isn't it? Because if if he does then go, for instance, to Everton, you know, is that actually going to bolster his career? Is he going to look as good once you know once Everton are seventeenth and there's a load of drama? I don't know. Hard not to be impressed with him, though, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, I think yeah. the problem is the opportunities don't come along often. And and if you'd asked him why you got into management, of course it's to manage a club like Everton. And I think it is a good step for him. I always felt that for Koeman it was a bit of an unnecessary step that Southampton, I'm not saying obviously Everton have got a much more kind of rich history than Southampton, but I felt that he could have skipped the Everton stage and maybe gone, if he'd hung around and timed it right, maybe, maybe got any, you know, a sort of a, a, a real top six club. But I, I guess that's sort of part of the broader thing isn't it like what is the what's the biggest possible job you can get if you're Sean Dyche and it's probably not one of the top six teams so therefore Everton represents the pinnacle of your career before managing England I guess I don't know yeah I would agree with that I think I, th- I think there's there's also I mean he, he's a bright bloke I, I interviewed him recently and 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 because because Burnley get about two minutes on match of the day and then he comes on with his cement mixer voice people naturally just think of him in a certain way but actually you know he's he is a he is a bright guy who who had quite a I won't go into it now but quite a variety of managers in the lower leagues from whom he he learned a lot and quite quite some quite colorful characters as well so he's a very very smart guy up to ninth then Sam I have got uh, Leicester City yes matching sort of eighth or ninth is a probably they're in that bracket of just outside the top six in terms of the quality of the squad. I think they are just sheer man for man, definitely at, at the very least the top ten team. 
Who's the real Claude Puel, do you think, Alan? The fellow with the impressive record everywhere, other than Southampton or, or the, the fairly tedious fellow we saw last season? Well, that's it, isn't it? Is it the sort of, you know, the, the, the moulder of young men at Monaco or is it some bloke that showed up at Southampton on a three-year deal and was then, you know, binned out there in, in 12 months? It's, un- it's as yet unclear, I guess. Signs of improvement there, though, since he took over, Sam. Yeah, I think so. It, again, it was one of those appointments that frustrate, would have frustrated the young British coach awaiting his chance. And one of the main problem at Southampton, it was felt that his, and I know this sounds a bit sort of little England, but his English was so poor and that he, he really couldn't communicate effectively. And actually, the belief was that if, if he could crack that, then he would be a very, very effective coach. I, I'd be interested to know if he's had lessons when he's while he's away. He, he In his press conferences, he... Uh, he was spoke so quietly that that you were kind of le- at the sort of the front row was sort of leaning into him um like kind of sympathetic relatives at a hospital bed um trying to hear him <laughs> trying to pick out his words uh, which were then translated often and when he stumbled the the press officer the, who spoke french would sort of help him along it was yeah i mean you didn't look at your notepad afterwards and think we've we've definitely got a hell of a story there you know it was it was hard work so i don't know what it was like for the players team number eight in the power rankings please i've gone for watford good manager now that i just i think the potsos they just get better at it every year and and and, and they learn way? from their mistakes i, I think that, i think that, i think people just first of all assume that because they were italian they, they wouldn't understand english football and then they proved them wrong. And and even when they made a bit of a mistake with Mazzari, it, it, it didn't cost them, you know, it didn't cost them a place in the Premier League. And, and they got rid of him quite quickly. I, I, I think they are pretty smart. And and now they've started recruiting English players or British players. So you've got Gray, you, you've got Andre Gray, you've got Chalabai, uh, Tom Cleverley. I think they're really interesting. I think they, they, they slightly refine their approach every year and, and it works well. And I just think, again, there's a bit of lack of quality in that mid-table and they, they could they could come through. Yeah, I've got them in seventh, uh, but I'm slightly concerned that I've drunk the Marco Silva Kool-Aid. He did, of course, get relegated last year. Well, what do we think so impressive about him, Alan? I can't react uh, dispassionately to that because after the after Paul Merson savaged him for no reason, I just I've always sort of held a bit held a bit of a candle for the guy. So he's he's like Sam sort of alludes to. He does seem to be marrying the English, uh, you know, blood and thunder with some more sophisticated ideas he seems like a likable guy the players seem to like him that he seems to get them to play you know right up to the final whistle and yeah what's not to like really into likely Europa League territory now with number seven so I've gone for this for the Saints uh, I, I I've got to admit I am I, I am a little bit worried about Pellegrino I don't really feel that he's had the kind of impact that you have to have it seems these days when it, you know when it comes to Starting in a job, he. Some people say he's a, he's he feels like an assistant rather than a manager, which is the a real curse on a number of managerial careers. And and to be honest, they are they are thirteenth at the moment, and um, you know that that feels like a way off. But again, it's so tight in there. I think so. Let's have a look at the table. So Brighton are currently eighth, and they're only two points ahead of Southampton. I just think they get they get their they get their recruitment right so regularly, and I think they'll be up for a bit more change in January. I, I just think they've got that quality that that's, that makes them stand out from that pack. Business end of the power rankings now, number six. I've gone for Arsenal. So Arsenal, I I've, I feel like they're slipping, you know, and 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 it kind of broke the spell for me last season that I felt they always found a way to get fourth or better, and I and I wonder what effect that will have on them too. In a way, he's liberated his league team 
Wenger because he's sort of playing the B team in Europe now because he's only in the Europa League and the A team in the league so that presumably they're getting a bit more rest. But um, I just see the same old problems. I, I really do. I felt they were evident again last weekend. I, I just don't think they're particularly well coached. And it's and it's and it, it feels terrible to say that about a guy I admire so much in Wenger. But it, it, to me, it's it, you know it's just obvious. Their conversion of what Opta deems a big chance is only 30%. It seems like they should be going more with Lacazette to me. What's your hot take on Wenger, Alan? I don't know about hot take, but it it just feels like it's been going on for so long. He's he's become like this sort of wounded elderly lion that kind of operating <laughs> around the edges of the of the Premier League. Are they ever going to win it again? Doesn't really seem very likely at the moment, but in a time, in an era where people are being sacked left, right, and centre, his his enduring quality is you know is a quality in itself. I guess I can't really see, I can't really conceive of Arsenal not being managed by him now, and I don't know if, if Arsenal can conceive of that either. So it feels like it feels like an insoluble problem. Yeah, it's weird how he seems almost more part of the furniture there than Ferguson did at United. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Um, it looked like Ferguson would leave, didn't it? In that sort of mid two thousand spell, and then he, he he came again, and I don't I don't know where 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 it will end is is unclear to me. Probably six in the table. What about number in five in the power rankings, Sam? Liverpool, um, correct. Which obviously, would would be a uh, disappointment for them given they were uh, they they were in the top four last season. I've seen quite a bit of them recently. Obviously, the, after the international break, they are going to have. Uh, um, Lalana back, they hope. Mane's come back to fitness. They expect Henderson will will have recovered. Coutinho will be back. And just the one, you know, the, obviously, I mean, I, the, the problem is the defence. That's that's not going to change. And Mignolet too. He, he saved the lowest percentage of shots of anyone in the league. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, and I think I don't think there's a lot. You know, when they're all fit, which is a big if, they've got quality. They've got a good manager. But, he, but the Klopp just hasn't addressed the defence. And again, it's just, to me, the obvious thing. Team number four, please. Well, look, I've, I've gone for Tottenham. I was kind of talked out of putting them high up because there was a part of me that wanted to say Tottenham to win the league because they've gone third, second. And, well, you know, in, in the past, that was obviously, this. You, you'd think, well, there's, there's the natural progression is to win it. The, the trouble now is that a team can kind of certainly sort of spend their way past you in some respects, which is partly what City have done. This is the one I'm least sure about because I still think Tottenham could possibly finish second. Let's see what Europe takes out of them. They're obviously going to go past, you know, they're going to go into the new year in the Champions League. So uh, this is probably, of, of every place I've mentioned, this is the one I'm least sure about because I think they could finish higher. And they didn't, they didn't, apart from Kyle Walker, they didn't lose anyone in the summer. Harry Kane, obviously outstanding. Eight goals so far this season. Great news for England leading into a World Cup. When do we think he's going to break his metatarsal? <laughs> the thing about Kane is that, uh, um, that I think is, is that he does play so often. It's just always a surprise when he's injured, isn't it? And, and that has been the hallmark of the great Messi and Ronaldo careers, just very rarely injured. And uh, well, not the hallmark, but it's been a hallmark. I don't know, it's just there's something about these players. I mean, they must get their feet trodden on all the time, but they never seem to break their metatarsal. Very thin boots as well. Poch gets a bit of an easy ride, possibly, Alan. Uh, do, you, do you think he yeah. deserves the plaudits he's getting at the moment? He's, he's sort of flavour of the month, isn't he? It's a, a bit a bit similar with Jurgen Klopp as well, isn't it? I mean, charisma and what people wanting to 
people wanting to buy into you and your story is a huge part of of being a successful manager in, in the Premier League. It is, after all, a drama as much as a sporting contest. And I hope this is a rare instance where Sam is wrong and that Tottenham do finish um, a little bit higher. Um, ditto Liverpool, personally, but I don't think that they will. But um, people want Pochettino to do well, and that counts for something. Right, top three, Sam. Who's number three? Manchester United. Uh, I know most people expect them to go second. I, I felt this from the start of the season, watching them against Chelsea. I'm not, and I know they've got injuries at the moment. I think every team's going to have to contend with injuries. I'm just not, I'm just, uh, I'm not 100 convinced that the Marino chemistry works right with the club, and I think that might, that might manifest itself later in the season. Yeah, and serious questions about his state of mind at the moment. Do you think there's any scenario in which he doesn't last the season there? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that would be that would be a really really messy situation. I, I, United are still, in some respects, defined by what happened with um, with Moyes and how painful that was. And for a fairly new administration, I just don't think they're going to do that to Marino mid-season. I think he's doing his bit to restore United to their rightful place as the most hated football team <laughs> in England, and should be lauded for that. <laughs> not, I'm not going to disagree with you, although no. I will remain ostensibly neutral sad runners up please Sam so is Chelsea so the natural you know manager board friction is normally that is an equation which equals a plummeting league position but of course this is Chelsea where the normal rules don't apply so uh, I think that in this case I think he'll keep driving them on and getting results well no matter what the relationship with the board is like I don't expect him to be at Chelsea next season not even I don't I would be more surprised if he was, to be quite honest. He's a good coach and he seems to, he prepares teams very well and he prepares teams that will, will attack as, as well as uh, defend. I think second for Chelsea. Yeah, they do just look extremely solid. Christensen featuring a bit more, surely Loftus-Cheek also making a bit of a case now. Do you think we're finally about to see the youth team is given a chance there? I would love to think so. I mean, people forget how many there are. I mean, when, when Ampadu was playing the other day in the League Cup, I was at that game, 17-year-old. He didn't. He just very composed, and but actually, they're, they're, he's probably about tenth in the queue to play in that game, in that position. But so many of them are out on loan. I mean, I think of Lewis Baker, who who was in England under twenty one, who's at Middlesbrough, who's a very nice player. Um, there are others. So, yeah, I I I I think they've produced so many good players that some of them are going to wriggle through. I really do. It would be incredibly counterintuitive to put any team other than this at number one. Please state the name of this team, Sam. So Manchester City, they're still unbeaten and I like the way they play. They they attack and they attack. And what's been amazing, one of the things that's really stood out for me as well is that how few errors they've made. I mean, Stones made a lot of me. I mean, it was a major theme last season that Stones was making mistakes. It was interesting to talk to him uh, last uh, this week, sorry, with England and where even Southgate was saying to him, look, you, you know, you, you, can, you can kick the ball long if that's what you want to do, but you'll just be like all the rest then. And it does seem like both Guardiola and, to a lesser extent, the England team have have tolerated errors from him in order that he can be a better player. And, and I'm glad that that's the case because there were times where I just didn't think he justified his place in the England team. I think the weak link is Otamendi, but even he's had a good season. It, w- it will take a hell of an effort from someone to catch them, I think. 89.2% is their passing accuracy so far this season. That is ridiculous. It's five percentage points higher than Arsenal. Pep is looking now, Alan, like all he's cracked up to be. Yeah, it does. Certainly at time of time of speaking, 
they they appear to have no major weakness. Their goalkeeping and centre half is you know better than it was last season. What's what is not to like? I mean, I suppose the only thing will be they, you know, they will lose a game or two at some point, and if that happens in quick succession, how will Pep react to that? Will there be some sort of, you know, implosion in some way? But uh, it it feels like only only they can defeat themselves from this point, really. Yeah, JJ Ball, who's our tactics guru uh, at the Telegraph, uh, was saying to me that. The way they play, it seems likely that at some point they might get quite a drubbing from someone. But as you say, it's about how they come back from that. Do we have podcast unanimous verdict on one thing? Pep Guardiola, best dressed manager in the league. Absolutely. He looks like a just an extremely elegant kind of teacher, doesn't he? So someone that would come in and teach philosophy and do it really well. Final word from you, Sam, the authority on Premier League managers' clothing. He certainly changed the game in the last 10 years on the pitch and, and off it. I, I, I still, and I'll leave leave this as my last thought I really believe that when managers especially in the Champions League come up against him that they buy a new suit for the occasion I'm sure of it <laughs> I always see them sort of tugging away at their lapels and their cuffs and trying to because I, I think he just intimidates them and yeah you can imagine that a lot of them are not on safe ground when it comes to picking out new clothes so I just feel that I, I, you know they feel it's like sort of round one to pet when they come out tugging away at the, the collar of an itchy new suit We'll get the investigations team onto it. Luke Edwards joins us now for a whistle-stop tour of the international football scene. Luke, you're in Copenhagen to see Ireland's goalless draw with Denmark. A pretty dreary game, but is this job done for the Irish? I think this is what Ireland do very, very well. They suck the joy and the belief out of opposition teams by grinding them into a stalemate. I mean, I... I did liken it in my match report to sort of death by suffocation for, for Denmark, really. Um, I still think it's going to be very, very tight. Uh, Ireland's away form in qualification has actually been considerably better than their home form. They failed to beat Austria, Wales or Serbia at home in their group. So Denmark seem to be quite confident in a, in a way after the game, thinking that they seem to be under this mistaken assumption that Ireland will have to suddenly sort of start playing expansive open football. They won't. Ireland will do exactly the same thing to them in uh, in Dublin that they did to them in Copenhagen. They will squeeze the life out of the game, keep it very, very tight, defend incredibly deep and incredibly well. And then if they need to, they'll probably have a go at it with the last 20 minutes. So if I was a gambling man, which I am, I will be putting money on Ireland to win one nil. I cannot, in good conscience, condone that, Luke. It sounds like it sounds like an awful idea. But other other bets and lifestyle choices are available. People who built their Friday night around England's goalless draw against Germany may have been disappointed, but there were some encouraging signs from the debutants. They were vaguely impressive, uh, and it probably suggests how low expectations and interest has dropped in our in the England national team that we can say that about a goalless draw uh, I mean I'm apps you know I, I, I sat through the Republic of Ireland's goalless draw with Denmark and thought it was it was it was a test of endurance but no there were encouraging signs and we have to be slightly wary because we have been here before both in terms of getting good results against Germany it's not so long ago that we beat Germany in a friendly I believe uh, 3-2 before the European Championships and we all got very very excited and thought this England team are great so a goalless draw against a German team in an international friendly is not really cause for celebration but I have been Gareth Southgate's I won't say he's the most ferocious critic but having been based in the North East and a man who got the England job 
sort of getting Middlesbrough relegated and failing to get them promoted, I've always been slightly wary and I kind of thought to myself, well, what on earth have you actually done to become England manager? However, what we are seeing now is a sign that there is a plan, and I do like a plan. There is a, there is a genuine willingness from, from Gareth to, to bring through some of these young players and, and, and to use a buzzword to give them a pathway into the senior team. We saw that with Loftus-Cheek. We've seen it with Harry Winks. We've seen it with Jordan Pickford now, um, Joe Gomez. And, and he's giving these new generation a chance, and, and somebody has to. Because quite frankly, they're not going to get that many chances with their clubs, are they? So, uh, you know, just chuck them straight into the national team. That seems to be the way to go. And there is a, there is an idea that the team is evolving and, and he's going to go for it. I mean, realistically, if England flop at the World Cup, you can't really see Gareth Southgate lasting, I shouldn't imagine. Not I, w- I won't entertain the prospect of England flopping at the World Cup, Luke. That sounds, that sounds incredibly unlikely. Football's coming home. It's always best to prepare yourself for England to flop at a major tournament. I find it steals you against the uh, sense of disappointment and deflation when it happens. So, if, if it's, but he, you know, there, there is a, there is an idea that these young players they're going to get a go, and in particular with Ross's cheek, there's a big hype about him. He did very, very well in the game. We've seen Harry Winks come from nowhere. People questioned why he was in. Joe Gomez, Jordan Pickford, they're young players, and, and they're getting a chance. And, and, and Tammy Abraham to an extent. So, I'm actually quite infused by that because. I'm sick of seeing the same old faces in the England squad fail. I mean, we've, we've they've been doing it for you know the best part of my life, but certainly more recently, in the last ten years, or certainly eight years, really, really flopping quite spectacularly. So, I've had enough of seeing those players in the England shirt, and I, I would like to get behind a new generation. And I think, yeah, so four credits, Gareth Southgate. He's he's going to have a go. He's going to have a go with these young players. He's actually genuinely not just playing lip service. He's trying to build a new team out of this new generation of players and and regardless of the result against Germany and there were encouraging signs I think that's the thing that excites me is maybe a strong strong word but it does sort of tickle my interest and let's just see where it goes so, so full credit to them but yes I mean let's, let's, let's still remember it was a goalless draw in an international friendly that really nobody cared about so you should have been out doing something else on Friday night Tickling, bordering on excitement. That is exactly where we are in the build-up to the World Cup. Luke, thank you very much. Enjoy the Ireland moment of glory against Denmark. Thank you. You're welcome. Time for your Hero of the Week, and we're honoured to be joined on Total Football by goalkeeper Paul Bastock, who this week broke Peter Shilton's appearance record in club football by playing his 1,250th game. Paul, you made your first appearance in 1988. What has kept you going for this long? Um, just desire, I suppose. Every year I say I'm going to retire, but then uh, when the end of the season comes, you just think, I need to keep going because everybody tells you, um, don't pack in while your body's able to. And as long as there's a challenge for me, I wouldn't want to be playing in a team that didn't offer a chance of winning the league and every team I've gone to we've always tried to threaten to win a league so it's always been the challenge to go out there and uh, perform at probably the highest level I can at, at the time ages obviously crept in so you drop down the levels but um, that's what it is it's trying to end the career on trying to win something So you said you're going to retire again at the end of this season are you going to stick to your word this time? 100% everybody's trying to talk me out of it but 100% I'm definitely doing it Basically, I have nothing what I, I can think of what I can challenge myself with. This year, I've, I've got plenty now. I've done the record. We're still in the FA Vars, and I would love to finish it at Wembley. I just think that would be the icing on the cake. 
but we're also moved into fourth in the table. So there's plenty to keep me determined to, to prove myself that I'm still a capable goalkeeper of, of winning things. And tell me about the record-breaking game, Paul. How did it go? It went really well, apart from it's the first time I've ever had someone apologise for scoring against me. <laughs> we were 4-0 up. Me, me right back brought down the lad with about 10 minutes to go in the box. He got a straight red penalty. And um, I just thought, this is written for me to save this. And he, he did move the eyes, blessing the young kid. And as uh, <coughs> I went to get the ball out the net, normally they rush and grab the ball off you, but they were so much much respect from Thetford. It, it was frightening. And he walked up, he hugged me, and went, I'm so sorry to spoil your day. <laughs> good, good, good to see that level of respect, Paul. Good. We hope you see you at Wembley at the end of the season. It'll be fantastic. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Cheers. Alan, who's your favourite 40-plus footballer ever? I'm going to talk about a magnificent individual by the name of Kenneth Leroy Charlery. He had one of the great non-league careers. He started at Basildon United in 1983. Time prohibits me reading out his entire career list, but uh, (laughs) let me just say three spells at Peterborough United and Fisher Athletic. Barnett, Boston United, that is literally only about a quarter of uh, what's on this piece of paper in front of me. He finished his career at Harrow Borough, the club in the town where I was born. He was the assistant manager. He was a kind of bustling, bruising centre forward. He wasn't particularly tall. Uh, He's under six foot, but he was strong. He was committed. And I think as I get older, I think what I really enjoy seeing in people is not kind of exceptional excellence but just people just showing up and doing a really good thing <laughs> that's the motto of this podcast absolutely yes it's like when you get if you go in um you know if you go in like a diner in america and there's someone like making poached eggs or fried eggs and they're just really really good at it and just that repeatability of doing the same thing i think there's a real beauty in it and for ken Charlery, that was basically elbowing people in the head and winning <laughs> footballs and i think that was a beautiful thing in its own way as well so yes ken Charlery. ken we salute you It's over. It's finished. That is the end of this week's Total Football. Get in touch with me on Twitter before next week's episode with your questions, thoughts, feelings and secrets. I'm at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes with all of your precious stars and subscribe to the podcast to be first in the digital queue for the new episode every Monday morning. Our theme tune is by Polvo. Head to MergeRecords.com to buy all of their music. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers. If you're enjoying being part of the Telegraph Sport podcasting family, then do make sure to download and listen to Brian Moore's Full Contact. It's the most opinionated rugby podcast as every week Brian and a host of big names from the world of oval balls analyse the biggest and most controversial moments from the weekend's rugby. Your Tuesday commutes will never be the same again if you like rugby.